0: You may be wondering, who are you? You're up here talking to me. I've never seen you before. Who are you? My name is Brandon. I've had the pleasure of being a part of the Journey Church um, and on staff in our creative team for 16 years. I was a part of the church when our con- yeah, thank- Well, thank you. I-, I got to be a part of our church when our congregation could fit on a couch. So there- God has done a lot of incredible things. I want to take a moment and introduce you to my family, right quick. So I'm married to Katie right there. Hey, girl. So we have been married for nine years, and we have a four-year-old. He will be four in December. Um, he thinks he's four. Uh, his name is Archibald, and I wish I had the energy that he had. Does anyone, can anyone relate to that? I'm kind of at the age now where I wake up, and I'm like, what happened last night while I was asleep? I feel like I got beat up by somebody. <laughs> so we're in a series called Social Dilemma. We've talked about the social dilemma of guilt We've talked about the social dilemma of greed, of grudges, and my truth versus God's truth, the absolute truth. And In our family, we have some social dilemmas. I don't know if you can relate to these. I can almost guarantee you. Here in a little bit, we're going to have one. It's where are we going to eat after church on a Sunday? Does anyone run into this dilemma at all? Oh, my goodness. Now, I'm a picky eater, but I'll find something to eat. But also, in our family, they're going to find something that they don't want to eat. And so it's a perpetual thing trying to figure this out. And when Katie and I got married, you talk about opposites attract. She loves to be around people. She loves to go do things, be at events. And I'm an introvert, and that's just not my thing. So as much as she's trying to find something to do, I'm trying to figure out a way to get out of what we're trying to do. So you may you may relate to that one side or the other, but there's one thing that we can agree on, and we love going to Disney World. It is something that we absolutely enjoy. We love going so much that we took our son to Disneyland, the OG, the original this past year. And as a church, two of our values are creativity and excellence. And I, I think of Disney World in very high esteem whenever it comes to this. For me, it just fills my bucket. You, you get there, you're walking down the street, and just the magic is in the air, right? Everyone is just so happy. You're having the greatest time. But it's crazy how fast that happiness can go away really quickly. And by the time you get to the afternoon, that adult that was pushing the stroller probably needs to be in that stroller. If you've been there, you've experienced this. And it's a comical situation. But in the church, we can actually do this same thing if we're not careful. The very place where we encounter God the very place where we look forward to on Sunday where we wake up we can't wait to serve i can't wait to be a part of what god's doing and be there something small can cause us to all of a sudden be like the church isn't perfect i'm not i don't, I don't want to we'll find excuses to not to want to do that and there's a social dilemma in the church and it's the social dilemma of truth and grace and that's what we're going to be talking about Today see if we, as the church, the big sea church, carried truth and grace in its full measure, we would see life change all around us. The culture we live in today continues to get darker and darker, more and more confused drifting further and further away from absolute truth. And sadly, as the church, we can slowly drift away from the great commission, the very thing we were given to carry, and it becomes the great omission. As the church, we can find ourselves sitting on the sidelines, pointing a finger of judgment and condemnation at our culture, telling them everything that they're doing wrong. See, when I come to somebody with just truth and only truth, I'm wielding it as a weapon, they don't know God. They don't know God's word. But I'm pointing this thing of truth right in their face. And I'm telling them everything, that how they behave is wrong. That they're a sinner and they're headed straight to hell. The sad part is you may have experienced this. That just causes wounds. That just hurts people. It makes them not want to trust Christians. Sadly, it makes them not want to be a part of church. And more than anything, it makes them not to want to have anything to do with God. But if I come to someone with only grace, I may meet them where they're at, but also I leave them where they're at. I say, hey, like, you're fine how you are. Like, it's okay. It'll be fine. You're okay. And there's no real life change that comes from this. Jesus came to earth on a mission to save humanity from its sin. And when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. He didn't come with just truth only. He didn't come with just a little bit of grace. He came with an equal measure of both. And today we're going to take a look at a story found in John chapter 9. And in this story, there's a group of people, I like to call them the truthers. They're all about the truth. That's the only thing that matters to them. And they're persistent throughout this whole story with the truth. But there's also a man who has equal measures of both truth and grace. And we'll pick up in John chapter 9, verse 1. Where the Bible says, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness? His own or the sin of his parents? The first thing I want to jump to here is there's a guy that's blind and the disciples are just so concerned with like, why is he blind? What's the reason this guy is blind? Like we need to know, like they have been taught That it was either this guy's sin or his family's sin that caused him to be in this situation. But they were so fixated with this problem in this man's life that they were completely oblivious to the obvious solution standing right there by their side. They've seen Jesus heal a man with leprosy, multiple people with disabilities have been healed. They've seen him feed thousands of people with just a little bit of food, not once, but twice. They've seen him walk on water, but the question in this moment they ask is, why is, this, why is this man the way he is? What caused him to be blind at church? We can find ourselves in the same place. We can get so caught up in the things that don't truly matter that we can completely miss what really does matter. Yeah, the disciples were a little bit off here where they were concerned about the wrong thing, but they were with Jesus. And we can't miss this so where when I'm connected to the body, When I'm active in God's church and what he is doing, if I'm not, I can easily miss out on what God wants to do. I can easily miss out on what God is doing. I can miss out on what God wants to do. And in this moment, poised as he always is, Jesus is always aware of a moment to impart to his disciples. Because he knows he's not going to be with them forever. So this is the teachable moment. I'm going to take this and I'm going to invest into you in verse 3. John 9, 3, Jesus answered, neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. Jesus is telling them here, yes, the truth is this man is blind. The circumstances of why he's blind, how he came to be blind, this really doesn't matter. What mattered here is that Jesus got his hands dirty. He met this guy exactly where he was. This man experienced the, tr- the full measure of both truth and grace. We can't get so focused on the sin in people's lives, pointing it out, all the while completely forgetting the grace that we have for- so freely received that we get to walk in. In verses 4 through 10, this man follows the directions that Jesus has given him. He goes and he cleans his eyes off, and all of a sudden he begins to be able to see and so he goes back, and the people recognize him, but they're like, there's no way that's the same guy. He's been blind his whole, wife, his whole life. There's no way it's the same one. So they begin to ask him and begin to question him. And in John 9, 11, it says, he replied, I met a man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, go to the pool named Salome and wash. So I went, and while I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. He says, I met a man and his name was Jesus. Still, this isn't enough for the people, though. They're after the truth. They're constantly coming at this guy with the truth, so much so that now they're like, hey, we need to take you to the Pharisees, the, the ultimate truthers, the people who carry the law. And we have to bring him in front of him because we like we need to know what's really going on here. So they bring him in front of the Pharisees and in a John chapter. Chapter 9, verse 16, it says, Then an argument broke out among the Pharisees, overhearing the blind man over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some saying this man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. The truthers are coming in full steam here. They're so blinded by their quest for truth, they're trying to find something else to point their finger at. All these people are gathered together. This guy has been healed. A miracle happened in his life. But the, like, we're not celebrating the miracle that he got to experience in his life. We're just pointing out all the things that we need to know the truth on. We're seeking after this truth. And this, is the, this isn't the first time whenever the Sabbath in Jesus. It's not the first time it's in the Pharisees' crosshairs. The same exact thing happens in Mark 2. And in Mark 2, verse 23, it says, One Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field of wheat. The disciples were hungry, so they plucked off some heads of grain to eat. But when some of the Pharisees saw what was happening, they said to him, Look, your disciples shouldn't be harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now, the truth here is, like, they actually were technically right according to the law. But, of course, Jesus responds because Jesus knows these guys are educated in the Scriptures. They know what the scripture has to say. And he responds to them in verse 25. Haven't you ever read what King David and his men did when they were hungry? They entered the house of God when Abathar was the high priest and ate the sacred bread of God's presence. They violated the law by eating the bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. But there is one here who is even greater than the temple. And in verse 27, he goes on to say, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for the sake of the people, not the people for the Sabbath. For this reason, the Son of Man exercises his lordship over the Sabbath. And you may be asking yourself, Was Jesus breaking the Sabbath here in this moment? No, absolutely not. Why was the Sabbath created? It was created for us to pause and to rest and to spend time with God. In this moment, we see it in John 2, we see it it in John 5, in Mark 2, and here again in John 9. Who are these disciples, the people? Who are they healed? Who are they with? They were in Jesus' presence. They were partaking of the Sabbath in its purest form. But the Pharisees can't see this in this moment. Why? Because they're all about the truth. That's the only thing that matters. They keep pointing to the truth. As our story continues in John 9 there's an interesting intersection that happens for this man. This man was met where he is. The reality, the truth in his life that he was blind is being dealt with and he experiences a miracle. And by grace, now he can see and it leads him down a path, no pun intended, that he never saw coming. As the man who was once blind has continued to be questioned by these truthers, by these Pharisees, he's beginning to realize who i experienced i may have not have seen this man but i remember what he did for me maybe just maybe he's not just a man ironically through the questions they keep pushing this man and it begins to change his tune and in verse 17 it says they asked who do you say he is this man who opened your eyes he's a prophet of god the man replied he now refers to jesus as a prophet But it's not over yet. The Pharisees, they're still not done seeking after this truth. They call his parents and they say, hey, is this your kid? And they're like, he's, some of you parents may relate to this. He's an adult. Like, you talk to him about it. You just deal with this. And they continue just to berate him and ask him about this. The prophet who did this is more than he ever realized. In John chapter 9, verse 31, it says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. This is the blind man talking. But only to godly people who do his will. Yet who has ever heard of a man born blind that was healed, given his eyesight for the very first time? I tell you this man is if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to do this. He's a man. He's a prophet. And he's from God. Now, at this point, the religious leaders are getting pretty angry. They have thrown every truth they could possibly try to think of at this guy in this situation and circumstance. And what they do is they just throw him out into the street. They're done with him. And isn't that kind of what truth does? Truth comes at us. It throws everything it can at us. And whenever it can't find the fault, when it can't find what it is, it just discards us and leaves us away. But who do you think was there waiting for this man once he got thrown into the street? In John chapter 9, verse 35, it says, When Jesus learned that they had thrown him out, he went to find him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man whose blind eyes were healed answered, Who is he, Master? Tell me so that I can place my faith in him. Jesus replied, You're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his feet and worship Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. He's a man. He's a prophet. He's from God. He is my Savior. When we bring people the equal parts of grace and truth, it will just continue to chase after them. And when you do this, sometimes you're not going to see the resolution that you thought in the moment, But be encouraged, when you bring grace and truth to people, it's a seed that is planted within them, and then it will continue to eat at their heart until God gets a hold of them. If we're going to be the church, we have no choice but to be salt and light, grace and truth. We live in a broken and dying world, and it's our responsibility to be salt and light, planting seeds as we go. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You, I, we, the church, we are to carry this light to influence and impact our world around us. Jesus is the source and we are his solution, making clear a pathway so that God can transform their lives. In stories, sometimes, to understand the results, the end of the story, we have to circle back to the beginning and understand where it began. This whole story got set in motion in John chapter nine verse one. I don't know if you caught it the first time, but we're going to revisit it. Afterward, Jesus walked down the street, and he noticed a man blind from birth. Jesus noticed this man. He paid attention. And to understand really what's going on, in John 8, just before Jesus had been berated by the truthers, by the Pharisees once again, trying to find fault in what He was saying and also in another person, that Jesus is defending them. So if I'm Jesus and I just got done with that and I'm walking down the street, like I'm not having it, I'm just a little bit irritated, I'm a little bit in my head, I'm not paying attention. but we're talking about Jesus. He never loses sight of his mission. He may have just walked out of this moment, but he knows what he's doing. Who knows how many people have walked right past this guy? Never noticed him, never even acknowledged his presence. But Jesus knows the mission that he had been given in church. We have a mission that we have been given. As the Journey Church, we exist to engage our culture with the irresistible love of Christ for the purpose of helping people take their first step towards him. We exist to equip and mobilize disciples to change our city and our world for Jesus Christ. Let me say it another way. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. I love how it says disciples of all nations. When we're living on mission, when we're carrying grace and truth with us wherever we go, Monday through Saturday, when we gather in this room on Sunday together, it should reflect just that. Diversity in the color of our skin, diversity in our finances, diversity in our age. And I just want to say, if you're young today, you're never too young for God to use you. And if you're more seasoned in life, I want to remind you, God is not done yet. There's still more. If you're alive and your heart is being, God still wants to work and move through you. If you call the Journey Church your home today, I just want to take a moment and just challenge you. If you haven't realized it yet, we're in the thick of the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. It is upon us and it is busy but we have an incredible opportunity to carry grace and truth with us when we're sitting around the tables in our homes, when we're at work, when we're just going to the market and walking down the aisles. We have no idea what seeds just sharing grace and truth can be in someone's life. The seed that can be planted that sends them on a collision course with their creator. And the last thing I want to challenge you with is spend some time in prayer, asking God to help you notice Somebody. When we're out and about and we see smiles, we have no idea what's behind that smile. We have no clue what people may be walking through, but just noticing them. It's just a seed that can be planted. Invite them to church. Tell them you're saving them a seat. You have no idea what just noticing somebody the trajectory that you can send them on. Because remember, that seed planted, it may not happen in that moment. But you're planting a seed for God to do something in their life. When we carry the full measure of grace and truth, when we notice people along the way, just like the blind man experienced, it may be the very thing that leads them to encountering their creator and experiencing Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for you. For your goodness in our lives. God, we're grateful for the love that you give us. God, as we go through this week, these holidays, God, remind us of that grace and truth that we get to carry. God, may we just display that. God, be with us as we see people. May we notice people. God, we just thank you that you invite us to be a part of your mission and vision and what you are wanting to do. God, we just lift this up to you today. In it's your name we pray, amen.